0: Hey there, everybody. Thank you for being here. This is the Light the Fight podcast. And as you know, because I'm introducing the podcast, that means that our beloved David is not with us tonight. Um, And so he trusted me and um, I have actually invited somebody that I greatly admire and appreciate and have learned so much from, um, a fellow podcaster And um, actually, I feel like this is a little bit of a return favor, if I'm being honest, um, because myself and Eric, which is only like Eric's very only second podcast appearance, um, we joined in um, with Richard Osler on his podcast, which is called Listen, Learn and Love. And I'm thrilled you guys tonight to introduce to you and bring to you to light the fight, um, Richard Osler. Thank you so much for being with us.
1: Thank you, Heidi. It's great to be here. And thanks for all the great work you're doing. You're one of my heroes. And I know I speak for many of your listeners that feel the same way. You're well, in talking about important subjects. So thank you for the work you and David and Brandon, your producer, are doing.
0: Oh, Thank you. And, you know, I have been, we've been doing this podcast for about, you know, coming up on, I guess, two and a half years, how long have you been doing your podcast?
1: We started in um, the beginning of 2018. So kind of the same time. Yeah, that's like it. Yeah.
0: Um your podcast, and, and I should, I should be careful, but your podcast is one of my favorite i don't have very many that are like on my library that i listen to because it stresses me out when like i get a bunch of podcasts downloading and i'm like oh no i'm getting behind on my podcast listening um but there has been many a craft session many a hiking trail many a long drive that um i have listened to your podcast and um wept and um learned and I have grown so much from you and each and every one of your guests. Um, so I want you to kind of tell our listeners, any listeners that haven't had the pleasure yet to listen to your podcast um, about uh, about your podcast, where it came from, and just a little bit of your story getting started um, because it's really an a great, it's a great story.
1: Thank you, Heidi. So, um, I'm Richard Osler. My wife and I have been married about 30 years. We have six children and three grandchildren. We live near Cottonwood High School in Salt Lake. And I was a singles ward bishop, um, served, been released about three years ago. And
0: Which, and- let me just explain, just in case yeah. anybody who doesn't know. um, being a Bishop of a singles ward in the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day saints is a, is a little bit of a different calling because you're dealing with all kids who are in between the ages of what? um,
1: 19
0: and 30, 19 and 30. And um, so being as a Bishop, maybe just share for the, our listeners who aren't familiar with that assignment, um, what that means.
1: Well you're it's it's a lay calling mean it's not paid so professionally I'm a small business owner and you're just kind of the pastor of a congregation and you have responsibility for to help these young adults move forward in their life and so you have a lot of interviews and in the course of those interviews I met with a lot of people outside of my normal circle and I'm nearly 60 now and that was really good for me in my 50s Um, I had a couple gay men in my ward and it was the first time I let gay people tell me about being gay. And we can talk more about that, but that was very helpful. But I met with people that are suicidal. I met with undocumented workers. I met with people that are different races than me. And through a lot of listening, I just um, was able to better understand people that were not in my normal circle, but still see them as the same children of loving heavenly parents. And And develop better skills to understand them. And that gradually led to me talking in social media about people that are often marginalized by society that have a harder road. And that gradually led to a podcast where I could um, have those people on the podcast to share their stories. And when Heidi's so complimentary about the podcast, it's really the guests that she's talking about because they come on and share their stories. people that have lost a loved one to suicide like Eric and Heidi talked about in episode 151. It was very brave of them. Um, Just people that have difficult things that have gone on in their life or occurring and and are willing to talk about them because it helps us all know better how to help people and also recognize we're not alone um, in this really difficult world at times. So Um, A lot of my podcasts are LGBTQ people sharing their stories because that's an area where I finally did a hard drive reset. I realized that everything I picked up about that group of people was largely from straight people. And the Heavenly Father just said, if you want to learn about this group of people, go listen to them and you'll see them the way I see them. So that's kind of where I focused a lot. I continue to be an active member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and also supporting groups of people that have a harder road.
0: Um, thank you, I think. Uh, so, okay, this is me being on this side of the interview, but what made you like turn to social media?
1: Well, it's- I mean,
0: were you like on Twitter all the time? Were you, was that like a thing for you?
1: I'm really old for social media. Um,
0: well, I mean, you're not really old, but you're well, certainly really not that normal dynamic.
1: <laughs> well, my wife was the PTA president at our local high school, and she had done it for a year, and she was walking around the house saying, I can't get anybody to PTA president next year at our high school, Cottonwood High School in Salt Lake, and I'm a small business owner with flexible schedule, and I finally asked her what the requirements are to be a PTA president, and she kind of looked at me like, why are you asking this? And I said, will you help me if I'm the PTA president? So I was the PTA president at our high school. and You were? I was. <laughs> and my wife, like, helped me. So she was kind of like my wingman and told me what to do. And I, <laughs> I didn't know that. That's so the, But I had a high school son in the same school, and he was on Twitter. So I got on Twitter just to interact with the high school kids.
0: Okay. And
1: they, I named myself Papa Osser on Twitter because I wanted the high school students to know I was an adult as they interacted. Right. And that's how it kind of gradually started. Then when I was a singles ward bishop, I just Facebook ref- requested everybody in our ward to be my Facebook friend. It was just a way to interact with them. I sent okay. them DMs. A lot of them we didn't have their cell phone numbers. They didn't go to our congregation, and I'd send them DMs on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and gradually they talked to me. Um, They wouldn't always be comfortable coming to my office and meeting with me, especially those that were not attending church, but they gradually just felt comfortable with me interacting on social media through DMs. So it's just kind of a way I connected with a group of people that I wouldn't normally be able to connect with. So I think Heavenly Father kind of pulled me in social media to help me bring voice to other people that have a harder road
0: one of the things that I think is interesting and I, I actually became acquainted with you through Todd Sylvester who also has a podcast that, um, he was on your podcast and you were on his podcast and, um, both stories, both podcasts really impacted me greatly. Todd talks about, um, Going through his own suicidal ideation and addiction, and kind of how he came through that to become um, a therapist, and that's his profession. And then he was talking to you, and I—I rem- I think it was on that podcast that you talked about um, how you would make statements on social media, kind of blanket statements that. Helped to proclaim you as a safe person, and that slowly you were kind of saying, as slowly as you put enough of these statements out there regularly, that it helped the kids in your congregation to say, Okay, maybe he's not like every other judgmental, condemning. Adult that's going to look down his nose at me and um, and cast me to hell or whatever.
1: Do you want to? Do you want to talk about that? It's a really good insight. I'm glad you picked up on that, Heidi. the The last year I was a, a bishop of this congregation, I started to post things on Facebook about LGBTQ people. Um, just kind messages. They were consistent with what our church taught. Just that we should be loving and kind and. And so I just started to support this group of people. I went out to dinner with a a couple in a same-sex marriage that was somebody I knew from high school and just posted that on social media. I felt that was what Christ would do, would be with everybody. Um, And what happened was fascinating. No more gay members of my congregation came out, but straight people, um, they just said, okay, I can talk to this guy. If he's going to show love to... LGBTQ people, which isn't traditionally what I'll see on social media from an active Latter-day Saint. Then I know I can talk to him for the first time about really complex stuff. I'm not gay, but I've got difficult things in my life, and I've thought about that principle as a parent. Um, as a parent, we have six kids, and we're not perfect parents, but we've wanted to create a culture where our children would feel safe opening up to us with what's really going on in their lives. And I've learned that we can teach whatever values we have in our family and and if we're Latter-day Saints, the values of our faith, but we can also create a culture where we don't expect you to be perfect. Um, We're not looking for perfect children. We're looking for a family infrastructure where you will open up to us and we will love you. And our love for you is unconditional we will just we're just here to walk with you on your road and help you the best way you and nothing you can do can take you outside of our love or even cause us to be disappointed or let you be um, that we just will walk this and I've thought about that principle a lot because as you know and we all know we can really we we need to know what's going on in people's lives to be able to help them right well I think I look at the, what Christ did in his ministry. He was with all the people in society that the leaders of society said he shouldn't be with. But I think if we lived in Christ's day, we would recognize he's a safe person for me. He's hanging out with a Canaanite woman, with Zacchaeus, the tax collector, with the woman at the well. Um, he's doing stuff on Sunday that people said he shouldn't be doing on Sunday. And I think we just look at him as he's a safe person for me to be around. And then we're in a position to be able to help people and teach them and lead them.
0: You know, one of the things that David teaches, and and I say David because it's still really a hard concept for me. And and it was especially a hard concept for me when um, I first, when Corey and I first met David and started having um, therapy sessions with David. And he said, you know, you can't pepper your kids with a million questions and you need to make statements and that will open up a dialogue. Interesting. And you know that's something that David talks about all the time. And and I like for the life of me I would be like David, I do not understand how to start a conversation by making a statement.
1: Interesting. It's honest, Heidi.
0: <laughs> and I could not figure it out. And I remember when, and the reason why I, I guess I made this observation about you and your statements on Twitter was because when you told that story, when you talked about the fact that you were making these consistent statements, and I even remember you said that I continued to make consistent statements that let people know what kind of person I was. And it finally clicked for me. Like I realized the statements aren't necessarily just like when you walk in the door and and what you say to that person, even though it's that too, but it's that consistent, a statement of body language, a statement on social media, a statement of a smile that when that comes over and over that represents who you really are it teaches others how to respond to you um it's it's just interesting that that your experience of I mean I think that you told me that or I think that on that podcast you were talking about how there like you had a lot of kids on your list and and only maybe half of them were coming or, or maybe less than half of that percentage and that you were finding them. We, picking them up on social media and bringing them in because they learned to trust you.
1: And isn't that what we want? It, it It's something that, you know, we're not perfect as parents in our home doing that. And I was never perfect, but in that assignment, we ended up having kind of two streams of YSAs, the ones that were active that would kind of work on, through my secretary to get on my calendar. And then you were right, there was this social, uh, social media stream is what I called them that would just, I'd book them directly on my calendar. We had a shared calendar and, and a lot of them, it was the first time they, but by the time we met, often we had this relationship where it wasn't awkward to meet, even though they were coming to the bishop's office for the first time. They just knew that I was a safe person. And I just think that, you know, the conversations we have at home, if we're always critical of neighbors, or always critical of people in a different political party, or critical of people, and our kids just hear that, I think we can step I like to say I can stand for my political beliefs on its own merits. I don't need to make um, an emotional argument about another group of people to somehow lift my position or demonize them. Or I can just have a fact-based discussion. So if there's somebody in my neighborhood that's different than me and things I don't agree with, I can keep it as a fact-based discussion without demonizing them. So there is a lot of differences. It's not like we're ignoring that, but we're just, we're just trying to keep you know, a, a 40,000 foot view of the human family. We're all the same human family. And so if I say kind things about transgender people or people in a different political party or people that are living outside the teachings of my church, I think it creates a feeling that you know I can talk to this guy This man or woman and I'm safe. And that doesn't mean I sell out anything I believe in or I water it down. I just creating an environment of trust that people know that they can open up to me, especially if I have a closeted LGBTQ kid in my own family. I think every family and every local leader of any congregation should assume there's closeted LGBTQ people within um, within the sound of their voice, and they need to kind of not make gay jokes or demonize that group of people. Sometimes it's really easy to do that. Absolutely.
0: (laughs) And I mean, I have actually shared on on this podcast um, when I had an opportunity to go to EnCircle, which is a support house, a support organization for LGBT youth here in Salt Lake City. And I met with parents and I said to them, I sat down, the first thing I said is, you know, I don't have an LGBT kid. I was there kind of talk about suicide awareness and, and suicide. And they're like that, you know, of, (laughs) and, and I was like, okay. And they all really took an opportunity to teach me about the fact that you don't know, you don't know. And it's really, um, it was helpful. It made me a lot more sensitive and compassionate just to think about that. Like, you just don't know what people, and, and, and that extends to other things that people may be going through that we may be joking about or haphazardly talking about insensitively, you know, to, to try to be careful there.
1: I love you went to encircle, circle, and I love you're willing to step into a space that may have been uncomfortable for you. We grow sometimes more in uncomfortable spaces. When I feel something that's uncomfortable, I lean into that a little bit just to feel like, is this new learning that'll be helpful for to me or is this not? Sometimes I think we quickly dismiss that feeling as Satan or the spirit telling me to leave. And I've learned to try to be, just sit with that for a little bit. And is this something that I'm, I, when I'm undoing a piece of learning, an opinion I've learned that I need to unlearn, and I've had to do a lot of that as I've met with LGBTQ people, that to me causes a little bit of pain or a little bit of dissonance. And I've learned to sit with that a little bit and think, is this helping me unprogram something? So I think it's great you went to Encircle. And I want to share a story that maybe created a framework for me. When I was growing up, my oldest brother, um, dad was a stake president, which is a leader over several congregations. And and his oldest son was not going on a mission, his, and he was processing the mission papers for all his, his son's friends. And so I just remember this was really hard on my parents to have a son stepping away from the faith tradition that they love. And one Sunday afternoon, um, Dad came home from all of his meetings, and he loaded us into a station wagon. And we all went to a small Christian church in downtown Salt Lake City. And this is my parents, my oldest brother, and five younger siblings. I'm one of them. And we watched this older brother get baptized into a different Christian church. And it was was the best parenting moment of my parents' life. Because it signaled to me as a 15-year-old kid watching my brother get baptized in a different church that nothing I could do could take me outside of my parents' love. And they would be there for me. And they could have hid me from that experience. They could have said, well, you go join that other church. We're not going to be there. They could have just gone themselves, but they brought every kid. And they, wow. maybe they were worried I joined that Christian church one day. Another <laughs> Christian church. So I use that as an example, yeah, my parents are really sad that my brother joined another church. Um, but it was it, they taught a principle there that has been life-changing for me. My brother's in his 60s. My dad's 90. My mom's 88. They are best friends. My brother's never come back to our faith, but the family circle is tied, and he's doing great things in his life. And to me, Heavenly Parents shine, are happy with my parents and what they've done to support their oldest their oldest son and the lessons they've taught me. So that's just a wonderful family story.
0: I love that story, and I have heard you tell that story. And I think that that kind of segues a little bit into something that I would love to hear you share about. Um, the listeners here at the Fight, I think what they come here for is thoughts about parenting. Um, and I, I tell you, there is not a parent that I know that doesn't have a little misgiving and worry and feel like, you know, question, question how they do things and worry if they're doing enough. And so, um, I think it's never wasted to talk about parenting advice, parenting suggestions and, and things that you've learned. And you have had a lot of wonderful, loving, concerned parents, come on your podcast that have that I have heard that have poured out their story that have poured out their heart that have shed tears um and you just talking about that keeping the family circle together I think that at Life to Fight that's what we want to do we want to help people and we want to talk about solutions for really building the relationship of that family circle um, you know, what are some of the things that you've gleaned and and what are the suggestions or the lessons that you've learned from your listeners about how to really keep that family circle close, even when things are not going as planned or how you'd hope for them to
1: be? Well, I'd like to talk to any parents that feel like they have regret or they're not doing it as good, or they have kids that have died by suicide, like your wonderful son, Corey, or that are not following the path they hoped. I would think if your heavenly parents could talk to you, they would fill you with love and hope and tell you you're, they didn't expect you to be perfect parents. Um, but you're doing a good job. And even if you've lost somebody, however that's defined, I think they they'd take you to the 40,000-foot level of the plan of salvation or the what I call um, just the eternal plan and let you know that everything's okay and to have hope that your very original best dreams for your family and for your children perhaps haven't changed. And to trust them that they're their children too. And that they're, in fact, they were their children before they are children. So I think they would do, if they could come on Heidi's podcast and talk to you, parents, some of you with really broken hearts, I think they would lift you in ways that you would be shocked. And they would fill you with hope. They would fill you with peace. They'd fill you with grace. They'd help you know that you are enough as a parent and they would want not want you to look in that mirror and think I should have done this different, or I should have done that different. Or if only were like so-and-so down the street, I would be, my kids would have turned out like so-and-so down the street. So be, <laughs> be really kind to yourself, parents. Um, and don't c- conclude right now that your the eternal plan for your children or your family has changed because of their choices now. Um, the next thing I'd probably communicate is, um, I just believe so strongly that our heavenly parents love us and nothing we can do can take us outside of their love. And I think as parents, we need to create that same culture for our kids. Um, I think there's so much pressure for kids, um, scholastically sports in our families that I just think it can become pretty difficult for them to feel like they measure up. And I think home needs to be a safe place where they just feel loved and they feel that that love is not conditional on anything. Um, because i believe that's the way heavenly parents see us and to me that doesn't make them less motivated but it just helps them to be feel safe and i and i just i you still grieve for them you still pray for them you still invite them um that i that's a couple thoughts the longer i served in my church assignment the more listening i did and the less prescribing i did i I generally thought the best advice I gave was after I listened a lot and and somebody felt I they felt fully heard and fully understood and then their heart was softer to listen to my advice and accept it. But often when they got to that point I'd ask them what they think they ought to do. And often the very things they'd come up with were the suggestions that I'd make for them. But often then that was a better they'd be more sort of bought into that suggestion because it was their own suggestion versus something that I suggested to them. Um, And then I tried not to create a feeling that um, if they chose a path that I wasn't comfortable with, I would say, I'll walk with you on that path. Um, I will support you. What can I do to help you on that path? And The reason I did is I wanted to honor their choice, but I also wanted to create a feeling that if they felt later on that path was not right for them, that they wouldn't be, it would be easier for them to reach back out to me um, and sort of say that wasn't a good choice because they wouldn't be so, I wouldn't have created, you'll be back one day or I'll show you this is wrong. And then to save face or to, it's harder for them to sort of undig their heels in if they recognize they've made a bad decision and, and sort of turn back to someone to say, I told you so, or create that sort of narrative. So I just think you want to create an environment. One example we did, it's a simple one, when our kids were elementary school, we said, you will come home and we want you to tell us every word you hear. Some will be swear words, and you won't know they're swear words, but you'll never get in trouble for telling us a word. And we'll tell you, if, we'll rank them on a one to 10 scale, the if it's a, on the swear word scale list, and then you'll know, <laughs> but you won't get in trouble. So those are just some kind of random thoughts. But another thought is just the parenting vending machine. I think sometimes we, you know, a vending machine, Heidi, where you put in coins and you press yeah. five. <laughs> and I think putting in the coins represents raising adolescents and teenagers. And then At about 15, 16, 17, you put in, it's time to commit to your button and you press C5. And then you kind of wait those teenage years to see if C5 turns, but sometimes D6 turns and you get something different. And then you wonder what happened because you look up and down and everybody else got a C5. So (laughs) then you self-conclude that I messed up. And I just think Heavenly Father doesn't want you to feel that way or even conclude that something went wrong. It feels like something went wrong, but be at peace that he's got this. And, and don't go in this, oh, this whirlpool of self-analyzing yourself and saying, obviously, this is my fault as a parent. I did something wrong. I miss family prayer. I miss this or I miss that. And I just don't think we should do that. I think we should look forward and, and just do the best we can.
0: One of the things, I mean, I had made a decision a couple of years ago. Well, a couple of years ago, I had been asked to come and speak um, about suicide to an LGBT group and um, LGBTQ parents. And I felt like um, I didn't know enough. I didn't have, I wasn't, I didn't feel comfortable going to speak because I didn't feel like I new enough and um as I've listened to your podcast um it's just being able to listen to all the different stories and what's really cool about your podcast is that it's kids stories and parents stories and sometimes both of them at the same time. Mm-hmm. And um it really helped me gain some perspective. Um, I think one of the things that you have said multiple times that, that's come up multiple times on the podcast was this notion that if we can embrace our kids for who they are, what they are, what they're doing then they will make better life choices than you know if if we're introducing shame or judgment um, do you want to talk about that a little bit more? I feel like that's something that comes up a lot.
1: And a couple thoughts. Maybe that's a good time just to let your listeners know about this book I wrote because yes, you make a really good point and you're really honest, Heidi that and I felt the same way when I first stepped into space, I didn't have the vocabulary. I'd heard some I was I didn't want to say the wrong thing so often didn't say anything. Right. And so this book. Um, it's called Listen, Learn, and Love, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Is um, It's at Siegel Book. It's at Amazon. It's supportive of the LDS Church and supportive of LGBTQ people. But it's a little bit it's about me, but it's mostly what you're talking about. It's hundreds of stories. Um, so you could listen to all my podcasts <laughs> if you have time. But you, the book is kind of meant to be a summary of all the issues, you know, Like, was someone sexually abused and that's what caused them to be gay, which isn't true. Did someone watch pornography and that's what caused them to be gay? That's not true. Pornography is a window into someone's sexual orientation, it doesn't change it. But just all these narratives and all these questions and all that's the purpose of this book. And um, I encourage people that want to learn more about the space, this is a good place to start. Absolutely. Uh, Here, lots of parents. LDS parents, lots of LGBTQ people addressing all these different issues that I try to bring up just to bring more education so we can better support each other. Um, I forgot the second part of your question. Um,
0: well, I just was, was talking about how, how, do, how do you embrace a child that isn't your C5 from your vending machine? Um, to the extent that you don't ruin the relationship because that's the norm.
1: (laughs) Um, That's a great question. It's an honest question. And I think you have to go through a period of grieving. This is speaking to parents where you have to, I think there's stages of grief, um, which maybe a therapist like David can help you through where you go through You know, your original expectations for your kids and then the reality. It's sort of the stages from, you know, pain and anger and to acceptance and peace. And so I think the atonement and a therapist and time can help all that. Um, One of the consistent stories LDS parents share in this book through prayer and temple attendance for those of you at LDS is, especially if, if an LGBTQP child leaving the church is this constant, constant message to love that child and just leave everything else at the Savior's feet. And and that is relieving for parents because they're no longer in control or responsible for that kid's choices. And they just, and it's relieving for them. Now, culture sometimes maybe creeps back in there and they feel guilty Or they feel judged sometimes because their child isn't fully participating in the church or on a different path. But the parents that do the best emotionally, and I think for their families, just at the end of the day, say, my job is to love this child. And let them self-determine, a a term a therapist taught me, which I believe is what Heavenly Father is letting us do here on Earth Life, is he's largely letting us self-determine our own path. So we as parents and we as church leaders invite people to follow, in this case, the teachings of my church that I believe in. But at the end of the day, even with the young single adults in my congregation, I would let them self-determine what they felt their best path was, and I wouldn't cut off my relationship with them. Some that I met with weekly had no desire to return to church, (laughs) but they still needed my help in lots of other areas of their life. And I just wanted to be with them in whatever they felt they needed my help in. And so maybe we do that as parents. If we've got a child that is not fully participating in a in an area that we would like them, but they're still but maybe we find other ways to help them um, and be involved in their lives in ways that they want us to help them. And we define our relationship not by this part of their life that we wish were different, but all these other parts of their life where we have common ground and they want our help and we want to help them
0: you know um, there's a an episode and I don't know the number of the episode that that we did um, about a year ago is about this time um, right around general Conference, which for those of you listening is the the major Um, semi-annual meeting that the worldwide meeting of church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And the name of the episode was relationships over religion. Um, (laughs) And it's, it's a a very, very much listened to um, episode. I feel like it's one that every Every person, no matter what their religion is or what um, their belief system is, it's very hurtful when your children step away from your belief. And and in your space, um, talking about LGBTQ um, kids and in, in a family, and um, the religion question is is goes right up there to the very top um, in an LDS home. Latter-day Saint home. Um, And so I really appreciate the things that you've shared. Um, Continuing on about what you've just said is putting that, letting religion not be the first, (laughs) not be the first priority. Um, And I think that it just makes a, a big difference And as we talk about that, and as we're just open about it, um, that, okay, this doesn't have to be our first priority. What's more important is you. What's more important is what you feel and think. That just brings down so many walls,
1: for sure. It does, and it's just more sustainable. I like to, as a parent, tie my self-worth into things that I can control. And not tied into things I can't control. And, and as our kids age up, that that gradually shifts um, what I can control for my kids. And at the end of the day, when they're adults, there's a lot of their choices I can't control. So to tie my worth in as a parent or as a human being <laughs> to the choices of other people, to me creates a lot of emotional dissidence. So I think we just have this parents say, we can, we can love. We can always love people. And it's not a false dichotomy that to fully follow love and f- love God. We need to stop loving some people. I think we can just love all people, including our children, even if our children are choosing different paths. I think that keeps the family circled together. And it keeps us, I think, in a better spot, emotionally and spiritually. Um, and if you're LDS, you have this belief that you have heavenly parents that are ultimately the parents of these same children that want them, that love them, and want them to return to them. And then we can just kind of, I think, be more peace. So I'm really with you on that, and um, I just think that brings us together. I one of the things I talk about sometimes is common enemy intimacy. It's a Dr. Bernay Brown term. And sometimes culturally, we we want an enemy to kind of focus on. So sometimes we'll sit in church or in our political party, and instead of just talking about the beauty of our own faith or the facts of our own political party, we'll need to, to find a bogeyman to kind of put this on or a villain. Um, it might be a different faith or a different political party or or LGBTQ people as a general group. And I find that. That often just creates a lot of anxiety. I think we can just, I think we can move to a higher law where we don't have, we don't have to form community just because we hate the same group. We can just form community because we love the group we stand for. My beliefs in my church can stand on its own merits. My marriage can stand on its own marriage. I don't need to sort of take on another group of people to somehow lift up. And our younger people are really looking for that kind of narrative. They're not into the us versus them narrative as much. They just see everybody as the same human family. So some of those tone things I think can help too.
0: Um, so you talked a little bit about your book. And actually, when you just held it up, it's the first time I actually saw it with my eyes. <laughs> it's pretty thick.
1: It is thick. It's because like,
0: on on my Kindle, I can't tell like how you know you can't really tell like how thick pages.
1: it
0: is. <laughs> that so tell me, tell the listeners, tell our listeners. Um, I mean, if if three year ago, three years ago, four years ago, Richard Osler was, you know, if someone told you you would be writing this book, is this something that you would have expected?
1: No, and I'm not a. Uh, you know, my kids come to my wife for writing help. <laughs> so I did surround myself with a couple editors. The reason i 'm in the space, maybe the same reason you 're in this space is um, there was a mother who posted about the suicide of her gay teenage son um, and so you 've both lost teenage sons. I know your son wasn 't gay, um, but her son was and she just talked about he suffered immensely. He was a square peg trying to defend a round hole, and and so that's the reason I kind of stepped in the space. I just felt an impression from Heavenly Father that there's a gap between our church and its ability to meet the needs of its LGBTQ members. So that's the reason I stepped in the space is to try to just bridge that gap. And um, but the book is, you know, it's meant to. The biggest goal of the book is just to, you know. Cause less suicides of LGBTQ youth, and to help us understand their road. But it's broader than that. Um, hopefully, it's not a very hard read because it's just a lot of stories um, about people. But the chapters are um, the chapters are false statements. A lot of false statements on why people are LGBTQ. False statements on what they should do. Um, chapter seven is my favorite chapter. If you're a parent or a local church leader of any congregation, that was
0: actually where I skipped to.
1: Yeah, in, just in the
0: beginning, do. I went straight to chapter seven. Yes,
1: and that's a really good chapter. What we can do just to create a culture that's more loving and understanding. Um, chapter nine is in potential paths for gay and lesbian people that are Latter Day Saint. Chapter ten is when a family member leaves the church. What are principles that apply to keep us together? Um, So it's just a book to try to talk about complicated stuff. And all the proceeds are going to the young man who's the family who lost their son, Stockton Powers to suicide, started a memorial scholarship. So all the book proceeds are going to his memorial scholarship. Um, Everything I do is just self-funded. I'm not. I just think Heavenly Father's put me in a space where I can self-fund stuff and, and everything I'm trying to do is bring voice to people that have a harder road. So I encourage people to listen to the book. I have a presentation that I give sometimes in local churches, um, Zoom firesides. You can see my email there, richard at oslergroup.com. And if anybody just wants a copy of this presentation, You're welcome to email me at richard at ostlergroup.com, O S T L E R, and I'll just send you my PowerPoint slides. But a lot of things Heidi and I are talking about are in this shorter PowerPoint, and I'm trying to scale content, um, not put it behind a firewall or anything. So um, you're welcome to either buy the book or reach out for this presentation.
0: You know, it's interesting because um, as I read the book and the names, like, I feel like I know these people because I've heard their voices and um, I feel like, in fact, there was one couple that I met at in Circle that have been on your podcast. And and when I saw them and I heard their voices and I just gave them this big hug because I just knew and I learned so much um, about improving my relationship with my kids regardless of sexual orientation, regardless of religious affiliation, regardless of what the struggle is, the messages that come from your podcast are that everybody belongs, that everybody has a purpose and that we need every single person here. And as you, as you tackle these tough subjects, um, like, You've done an amazing job tackling subject of pornography, of suicide, of um, oh the word just scrupulosity, which (laughs) it has kind of a like a lot of people don't know about, and it it's it's a tender one for me as as my children have dealt with that Um, depression, anxiety, addiction, all of these topics just as we listen to these stories our hearts grow our hearts can't not grow because you go from hearing or thinking something about somebody to knowing something about them because you know them and their struggles and um it's just anybody listening who just Wants your heart to grow. You want to learn more compassion. You want to learn how to elevate by just understanding better. This podcast is full. And this book is just full of wonderful examples of just how to be a better human. You got and,
1: a start, Heidi.
0: <laughs> well, I I I just love it. I love what you've done. And and I think that it's um so unique and unusual for somebody to kind of pick up. Well, well, now that I know that you're PTA president, I'm not as surprised.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I was, the PTA president, I was a figurehead. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, I love that so much. But I, I truly thank you for your example, because I have noticed the conversations increasing in um in even in my circles, we're talking about l g b t youth more we're uh, more open to them. we're not as afraid Good. we're seeing them and welcoming them and recognizing that they do need allies they They do need us, every single one of us and um you know. this yeah go ahead
1: I'm just with you I just I think there's so much culturally that creates shame shame is one of Satan's greatest tools to isolate us from parents to isolate us from opening up to other people to isolate us from God we were never meant to be perfect we've created a culture and sometimes our own families where it's toxic perfectionism you've talked about this where I, as a child, I have to be perfect, I have to get the best grades, I have to, because there's a culture around, and I think we need to create a different culture, that it, we're not expected to be perfect, we're expected to make mistakes. I don't think, I think Satan's real, but I, he doesn't really win if we mess up, he wins if he can cause us to believe we're no longer loved, we, that we yeah. shouldn't love ourselves, our parents, or our church community won't love us. I think I've always felt messing up is just part of mortality. Shame says I am bad versus I did something bad. Shame is one of the greatest tools to isolate us in self-loathing, look in the mirror and only see ourselves for our weaknesses or what we need to work on. And I think Heavenly Father wants us to see us as, as divine children of loving Heavenly Father, Heavenly Parents who love us. And nothing we can do... Can take us outside of their love. And just, and to be happy with who we are now, I think sometimes we have this world, well, I'll be complete once I'm married, or when I have a degree, or when I get into BYU, or when I've lost this amount of weight, or when I look like this person. I think we need to feel like we're complete now. We need to feel like we're whole now. And we need to have a narrative as we talk to ourselves that's really loving about ourselves. And doesn't and that's not comparative in nature. It's just I want to be it's the, it's the appropriate pride of self-respect. It's not comparison pride. It's just that I'm trying to be my personal vest, and that's between me and myself and God. And I think there's so many things that make our narrative about ourselves negative, and I think we do better when we just see ourselves in a very positive light. It's not comparative, and scrupulosity is part of our family too and that's something we didn't realize was going on with a member of our family and that's a whole new and i think when we share and vulnerable we heal ourselves i'd share a quote a lot about the sharing of we, of vulnerabilities and being honest and authentic brings us together in a way that is it is healing and helpful we're not meant to sort of isolate ourselves and solve our problems i think we're meant to share our situation with others in a trusted situation because that's how other people's hearts grow like yeah. yours and mine, but that's also how we heal. Yeah. So culturally it's hard to open up and be vulnerable, but I think we're learning to do that and and we need to do that better in our homes and in the four walls of our churches so that yeah. people can feel safe opening up.
0: Yeah. Wow. One more, one last, let's share one last bit of information about your podcast and also your book and where people can find you.
1: Well, I'm Papa Osler on Twitter or Instagram or Richard Osler on Facebook. And I don't talk a lot about my family. My social media is, you know, not typical anymore because it's just talking about all this stuff. And I'm glad to do that. Um, We have a website called listen, learn and love.org. And on the tab there, there's a there's a listing of podcasts. They're sorted by category because there's over 300. So some people just want to listen to early release missionaries. Some people just want to listen to addiction. Some people just want to listen to LGBTQ. And there's all sorts of podcasts within there, parents and LGBTQ. So the podcasts are. Is really all the taboo subjects that we want to talk about. <laughs> We're talking yeah. about them. Heidi, David's talking yeah. about them. So it's really all the taboo subjects that we want to talk about, and the guests are the heroes for talking about them. Yeah. And so that's where you can go to get a listing of our podcast. You don't have to listen to all the podcasts, but you might scroll through and find some that are helpful to you, um, and have people share their stories. And the book. Well, you can never. just. Search. My name on Amazon, Richard and I think you'll find the book on Amazon or it's in store at Siegel book and probably other places.
0: Well, I got to go pick myself up up a hard copy um, (laughs) so that I can dog air it and um, remember it. I've just been reading it on my Kindle. So um, again, I just, I appreciate all that you're doing. Um, I, love listening to your podcast. I love the way I feel when I listen to your podcast and your guests and I have just gained so much strength. And so I, I always, whenever I get done listening to a podcast, I always message, um, the people that are on the podcast and just thank them because I'm just so grateful, um, for the things that, that people are teaching on your podcast. And I know it's not always easy to get on there and talk. Um, but I think that it's always worth it, even if it's just for one person, even if it's just for me, for Heidi Swap. <laughs> I appreciate it. So um any last words? This is what you always say on your podcast. Any last words?
1: Well, um in the in the LDS church, we have the the magazine called The End Sign. And I in the October. I have an article in there, and it's just its just some of the things we've talked about. If anybody wants to read my letter to young single adults, it's on page 68. Okay. Talking about the principles we're talking about, that um, you're going to be okay and to have hope. And then I have an article on page um, 72 talking about pornography. It's not an article to avoid pornography. I think a lot of people know that but a lot of wonderful people are working to solve pornography and they're some of my heroes and so on page 72 in the October Ensign I talk about some of the things that I believe are helpful to solve that but a couple of them are removing shame um, and recognizing that you're always a beloved child of heavenly parents who love you and be kind to yourself so I uh, just point your listeners to that. It might be helpful to some of your listeners. Um, and thanks for the great work you're doing, Heidi. You are one of my heroes, Eric, your husband, for coming on that podcast. That was That's episode 121, if any of your listeners want to go back and listen to Heidi and Eric um, talk about your wonderful son, Corey. I think about Corey. I think about some of the things you said on that podcast that were some of the most healing and thoughtful and eternal perspective related things that you said. And you openly talking about Corey honors Corey. And it honor it helps all of us. Um talking about suicide is a way to solve suicide as you know. And so for you to talk about this, I think Corey's proud of you and Eric and your whole family and and I'm so glad you shared what you shared on episode 121 because you have helped so many people. And in an unspeakable tragedy that I don't know anything about, Heidi, I am not walking your road and you would want no one to walk the road you're walking.
0: That's
1: true. And that's why you're doing this, but you are one of my heroes. And on behalf of all of your listeners, (laughs) love you. Thank you. What you're doing and your whole family and David, you are saving lives and you're having needed conversations and you're using your wonderful platform and your wonderful heart to help people feel loved and supported. So thank you. And it's an honor to be on your podcast.
0: I appreciate that. I think that having podcasts, having this ability to, to reach through the interwebs <laughs> all around the world and um, and talk is what we need right now in the world. And I'm just, I'm thankful. So on behalf of Light the Fight, of myself, of my family, um, and our listeners, thank you, um, Papa Osler, for helping us to light the fight.
1: Thank you.